0: Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, Family Ties. You can leave it up there, you can put that slide up there for a sec, there we go. We're going to talk about the family that that brought about Jesus to the earth, and um, that's the title of today's message, Family Ties. Next week is, let's see, I believe I have it down here. So this, this week is the family that brought Jesus together, and then next week we're going to do a deep dive into the family, Mary and Joseph, uh, the mother and father. So this week, the extended family of Jesus, next, uh, Mary and Joseph, we'll talk about that specifically, and then um, Sunday morning on the 23rd, we'll dive into the actual birth and what that means for us as Christians, um, and, and, you know, addressing Simply Christmas, right? Um, so a three-week Advent series, but today I just I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, you're going to have to listen on purpose, and there's going to be some some readings, some history, some fun facts, all of which I hope will build your faith. It will edify you to the point that you feel uh, stronger as a Christian, as a believer. I believe that nowadays, and it's just it's a proven fact with with the landscape. Of Christianity, but pluralism is destroying our faith. the idea of multiple ways. no everyone is afraid nowadays to say that 's wrong, this is right that 's black, this is white. That could be a mo write it down that 's a wrap. we 'll meet this week we 'll hash that out <laughs> that 's wrong, this is right, you know i 'll call it black and white. Mm. Uh, yeah we, Terry, you want in on that i don 't know. <laughs> spit it, Uh, but the point is, uh, I don't know what the point is, but no, I'm kidding, people are wrong, people are right, and there has to be people that say, that's wrong and that's right, and the standard of truth for millennia is what? God's word, if it's in the book, it's right, if the book says it's wrong, it's wrong, and uh, people are just so scared to say that. So if you're listening to this podcast, anyway, uh, you heard it. The Bible's right. Everything else is wrong. <laughs> and and it's, I think that in the, in the pluralistic nature, people want to be, I think the word is what? Tolerant, right? We want to tolerate everything and everyone. Um, I can accept someone. I think this is a necessary rabbit trail. I can accept someone and not approve of what they're doing. Everyone in this church, everyone right now under this Hey, buddy. Everyone under the sound of my voice that's here, I accept you for who you are, and I love you, and I would do anything for you. I mean, there's not a person in this building that I probably won't hug today before you go home. Why? Because I want you to feel accepted. I want you to know that your pastor loves you. And that's, that's the foundation, right? Reckless love of, of what we have. If we don't have that... We don't have anything, right? We're family in God, in Christ. So, uh, But I think we mistake acceptance for approval. What's your approval rating? Well, we take that, that metric and we drive it home that everyone has to approve what I'm doing. That's not true. I don't have to... In my conscience, approve you. And the Bible says that if I approve you in my conscience, when my conscience is clearly telling me that what you're doing is wrong, I've now seared my conscience. And then what good am I? I'm a puppet at that point. I'm not your pastor, I'm a puppet. You'll come here and I'll tickle your ears and I'll tell a few jokes and then you'll leave happier than when you walked in, hopefully, and you'll come back and you'll keep giving. And that's the mindset of... Evangelicalism. Why? Because it's pluralism. If you believe a different way than me, it's okay. It's not about me being right and you being wrong. It's about Jesus being right. Let God be true and every man a liar, the Bible says. So it's not about me, it's about the Word of God. If I stop preaching the Word of God, stop coming to this church. I'm telling you now. Shut the doors. I'll go get an honest job. I'm good with it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> a little rough. But the the point is, if there ever is a point, is that there is right and there is wrong. And if we cannot, as a church family, agree upon what the Word of God says, then we might as well shut the doors. But we already know that we can agree on the love of God. I think I didn't finish the acceptance and approval. So anyway, in this in this day and age, when there are people who are doing and believing things different than you, Get this in your mind. Burn it in there. Brand it in. You must accept them, but you don't have to approve what they're doing. Is that okay? Does that help you a little bit? I accept everyone in this world, and I love them. I would just about, I don't know of a person that I wouldn't, as long as it's safe for my children. Come into my house. I'll feed you. I'll put you up. Uh, My house is tore up you know, I had a little water problem, okay, so, you know, it, it may not be the most comfortable situation, but you are more than welcome, and I promise the heat is on, there's food in the refrigerator, have at it, whatever, what, what, what I have is yours, and my wife and I feel the same, we're on the same page with that, there's been seasons in our life where we've opened our home, whatever you need, uh, but that doesn't, don't mistake that for the fact that I would approve everything that you're doing in your life, does that make sense, Have enough backbone to love someone that you don't approve of. But in your mind, I can't love them. I don't agree with them. That's a problem. Love your enemies. Now are we putting the gospel together? Okay, great. I'm glad we're on the same page. (laughs) My iPad may or may not die here. Um, It looks like we're on low battery. Anyway, family ties. I found that this is an interesting study. And I hope it grows your faith today. Last week we talked about the faith what? The faith... Snorkel. snorkel, The faith funnel. Okay? And uh, it was just a... a, a, God has been really hammering his faith. So as we take a break from the book of Luke and jump in here in this passage of Matthew, I hope it strengthens your faith. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1. I forget what I put in there. Verse 18 through 25. Matthew 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her away privily. We're going to unpack this next week. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth the son. Thou shalt call his name, say it, Amen. Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall, uh, shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took, him un- took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. That's the Christmas story as given by Matthew, in, in this sense, not from Luke 2, um, but Matthew sets that up with a passage of Scripture that we often look over. How many of you, when you're in this Advent season, tend to go straight for that passage and read the story of Jesus, right? Right? Uh, that's, that's kind of the tendency. I hope you're doing some sort of Bible study during during this season and not just uh, Christmas shopping it up and uh, you know buying things for your children and not teaching them, God forbid what the season is all about. But that's our tendency. and that was my tendency when I first set out, I'm just going to read this, Uh, passage and we'll unpack this little portion of it. But if you look up above, look at 1 verse 1. If you have your Bibles there, if you don't, there's a Bible in your pew or on your phone. You version, do it. Uh, Matthew 1 verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So that kind of caught my attention. And I thought, I wonder if there's something here uh, but I think, once again, our tendency is to, if you're reading the Bible chronologically, when you get to the book of Chronicles, you what? Skip over that mess. <laughs> and so-and-so begats, so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so and so and so and so begat so and so That's a lot, isn't it? When you're reading it and you're like, what does this mean? Why is this even here? Why would you not just cut right to the chase when you're talking about the story of Jesus and start with his birth? Just Why don't we just cut out verses 1 through 18? We don't need all that. But if it's there, it's inspired by God and He wants us to study it. So what's the significance of this? Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas' brother, and blah, 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 blah. There's about 14 generations all the way down. And if you go to verse number 16, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Matthew focuses on Joseph's lineage. To prove that Jesus had the line, right? The messianic line from his earthly father. So, watch this. Legally, he had kingship. That's the point of Matthew. Matthew has really written, that gospel perspective is to the Jews. So when Matthew gives the perspective of Joseph's line in his genealogy, he is saying, this one to be born, legally has the kingship from his father Abraham and David. Now Luke, the book that we've been studying, it gives the line and mentions Eli, who is Mary's uh, father, Joseph's father-in-law, and his line leads back to David. So not only is it a legal issue, but it's a blood issue. His mother also carried the, the family tree, the family ties to the line... Uh, where his kingship was rooted in the Davidic king. So why is that important? Because the Old Testament prophesied that it would happen. Why is this significant? It's all significant. The Old Covenant really uh, is in connection with, in cahoots with the New Covenant. Uh, That's why we don't throw out the Old Testament, if you will. So let me read you a few things. I think this is uh, going to be helpful. The census of the Jews in Palestine was based on tribe, as can be seen from the fact that Joseph and Mary were required to register in Bethlehem because he, Joseph, was of the house and family of David, the Davidic king, showing Jesus' line. When I say that, just for sake of of figuring out kind of where everybody is, how many of you know the significance of the fact that Jesus was a king? Does that make sense? If that makes sense to you, raise your hand. Okay, a few, about 50-50. Okay, that's good to know. It is both interesting, listen to this, and significant, that since the destruction of the temple in AD 70, no genealogies exist that can trace the ancestry of any Jew now living. The primary significance of that fact is, for those Jews who still look for the Messiah, his lineage to David could never be established. Jesus Christ is the last verifiable claimant to the throne of David, and therefore to the messianic line. Great proof for Christendom, peering into Judaism, who has not necessarily accepted him. It's like we're looking at them saying, it's never going to happen. Jesus took care of that with the destruction of the temple, with the destruction of the records. And he is a verified king of the messianic line. What am I saying? Jesus was who he said he was. Matthew's genealogy presents the, de- the descending line from Abraham through David. We already discussed the the significance of that. Matthew's intent was to validate Jesus' royal claim, showing the legal descendant. Matthew follows the royal line through David and Solomon, uh, David's son and successor to the throne. The Bible knows nothing of Mary's, here's another fact that I think we really, in this region, in this area, you really need to put this in perspective. Some of this is uh, hopefully faith building for you. People believe that Mary had grace specifically that she could offer, that she could give. She was then perfect. She was sinless, offering grace. Uh, The Bible knows nothing of this, Mary's grace, except that which she received from the Lord. She was the recipient, never the dispenser of grace. The literal translation of favored one is the endued with grace. In Luke one twenty eight, showing that God gave her the favor. She did not possess the favor within herself. If, you're, if you come from a more Catholic background, you understand the implications of that. And you need to let that sink into your heart that the favor that she had was given to her. Luke one twenty eight, and not necessarily something that originated with her. That's important. Just as all the rest of fallen mankind, Mary needed God's grace and salvation. So put that in your minds. A careful look at the descendants both of Abraham and of David reveals people who were often characterized, this is the message here, by unfaithfulness, immorality, idolatry, and apostasy. But God's dealing with them was always characterized by grace. Grace. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, was sent to overcome the failures of both those men and all of their descendants and to accomplish what they could have never accomplished. The king of grace came through the line of two sinful men. God's grace is giving us, watch this, the greatest gift of all, and that is seen in four outcasts being represented of bringing Savior into this world. This is where... Uh, we expose the genealogies. And we kind of look and see uh, what kind of twisted soap opera Jesus came from. How many of you are into this Ancestry.com thing? Hmm? One of you? Really? It's kind of popular. I think it's going to catch on. 23 and me? Okay. I think I'm going to order a kit this week. What do you think? I know I'm like Irish. How many of you are Irish. Ooh, see? We're good. We're good here. Uh, how many of you are Polish? I knew it. <laughs> uh, I, my wife is, like, Spanish, and shes uh, I think she's got some Cherokee in there. Um, I don't know. I always knew I'd end up with an exotic one. You know what I mean? Like, uh, But the point is, is people are interested in their heritage, where they come from. And if you're not interested, you should be interested in that. I don't even know what's wrong with you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and I think, too, for... For some that have a past, for some that, you know, they come from a rough place, you want to ignore it, right? I, I came from not good stock. You know, and it seems like, how many of you watch The Crown? Just a great show on Netflix. Um, not to say that I approve of everything, but I accept it, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, <laughs> don't watch it with your children. But uh, the, the point is, is, you know, you look at The Crown... And it's, it's just, it's all about the line, the lineage, that royal bloodline, right? And it's very interesting when you get a, when you, you kind of put yourself, the, the writers and the videographers did a fantastic job on that series. Uh, we just can't wait for season two to come out, but uh, binge. But anyway, when you put yourself into that story and you're like, man, there was a whole country built on this. And you want to kind of like dig in to the backstory and find out, oh, well, so-and-so would have been the king, but he messed up, and he did this, and they covered it up. How many like juicy cover-ups in these series? You know, it's like, are you sweeping stuff under the rug? But you know what? We're sinners. That's what we are. We have struggles. We have issues. And when we talk about Christmas and the greatest gift of all, Jesus, why? Because he's the conquering King, He comes from the line of David, the line of the tribe of Judah, where the kings came from. There's some Game of Thrones kind of stuff going on in the Bible. I mean, no joke. And I think that if we can unearth some of that, it will help us. It will help you. I know it helped me. So if you think like, yeah, you know what? Jesus probably had his family on lockdown. Why do I think you think that? Because his mother Mary is portrayed as some perfect woman, right? It's just like the devil to convince you that you're no good. It's just like the devil to get you thinking that you could never be a part of a royal bloodline because you're not as perfect as Mother Mary or Mother Teresa or any other mother. My mom's pretty perfect, I'm just telling you. I mean, the woman, I never saw her sin. I I don't know, I think she did it all in prayer. She had a sin closet or something. When she was raising me, she went in her closet and sinned in there and then came back out and dealt with me. I'm telling you, the mother never, my mom never sinned. She's just like this... Great woman. But I know, even in jest, my mother's a sinner. She has fallenness. I think she enjoyed spanking me one too many times. I could see that little grin in her eye. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> the point is, is I, I want you to identify with Jesus' family tree. I don't want you to glorify it. Ooh, that's another song. Write it down. Okay, got it. I want you to identify it. Why? Ooh, this is good. Our identity is found in Christ. We are image bearers of the King of kings and Lord of lords. When he saves you, when he gives you saving faith, you are living now by that faith. We talked about that last week. So if your line, if your lineage, if you are now, this is huge, a son and daughter in the line, the kingly, priestly line, then we should know what that line is all about. So I think some of you, you know, for sure like me, just think like, I can't live up to that. Maybe some of you have actually not even accepted your salvation fully because of your past or because of, when we talked about that last week, go listen to that message, but I want you to feel comfortable being in the family of God because it's not about you, it's about Jesus. All right, so let's, let's look into genealogy. Are you ready? We're going to Ancestry.com on the Bible real quick, and we're going to dig into his genealogy because that's why Matthew gave it to us. Look at verse number one in Matthew, okay? Uh, the book of Generations of Jesus Christ. Go down to verse three. And Judas, that would be Judah, right? So the, the words sometimes they spelled things differently in the New Testament than they did in the Old Testament. Your version may say Judah. Uh, mine says Judas. And Judas, or the line of Judah, because that's the line, 12 tribes of Israel. Judah is the line of the kings. Uh, Jacob begat Judas, his brethren, Jacob, right? Twelve son. And Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Tamar. Watch this. And Phares begat Isram and Isram begat Aram. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Phares and Zerah of Tamar. Tamar was a Canaanite daughter. Right here mentioned in the text. time is it? Okay, we're doing okay. Stay with me. Tamar, a Canaanite daughter-in-law, disguised herself as a prostitute to bring about Perez and Zerah. Right here in the text, Perez, Perez, in this translation, and Zerah of Tamar was begot prostitute. She was a Canaanite woman. Judah had sons, right? Right? Jacob begat Judah, one of the 12 tribes, the tribe where the kings would come, and one of his sons hooked up, if you don't like that text, read the Bible, it gets rougher than hooked up, okay? Uh, But one of his sons hooked up with a Canaanite woman. This is in the Bible. This is the Old Testament. This is the Game of Thrones kind of stuff. And I can only imagine Judah being like, bro, you know we're supposed to keep it in the family, you know what I'm saying? And you went outside of the boundaries of our four walls here, and you hooked up with a Canaanite girl? Yeah. <laughs> she was purdy. I could see it. This is the story. Yo, y'all, we, we want to talk about the story of Christmas, right? Oh, presents. The greatest gift was Jesus. Let's unpack Jesus, and, and let's just talk about how good he is in this Christmas season. Make sure you teach your children. These are the Advent reading, readings that we don't teach our children. You know what I'm saying? We talk about all the great stories in the Bible, how they point to Jesus. What about this story? His great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather had a son, and one of his sons hooked up with a Canaanite woman. Wasn't supposed to do that. Then he promises her... After his son dies, I think I got the story right. And, and you can fact check me all day long. I listened to my message last week. I got to get better at my facts, man. I'm, I'm all over the place. <laughs> so anyway, if, if I make a mistake, forgive me. But the story is, uh, it's pretty much there, okay? Uh, but the, the point is, is his son who married the Canaanite woman, he died. And if you know anything about the law, go back and read Levitical Law. One of his sons... Or brothers supposed to take ownership or responsibility in that relationship. So you can see this. Everybody knows he hooked up with a Canaanite. Now he died. Now what do we do? She's over here going, uh, uh, the law says one of you got to come over here because we got to continue this family line. You know what I'm saying? This is the unedited version. And so Judah's like, I got this. All right. We'll, we'll, I'll get one of my sons right on it. And it was a false promise. No one ever stepped up to the plate, which means she was not being taken care of. Tamar, no joke, dressed up like a prostitute and flips herself by Judah's tent. The daddy, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, that guy slept with his daughter-in-law. From that relationship birthed twins. And they are Welcome to the world, Perez and Zara mentioned right here in the lineage. That's what Jesus came from. Now, does that help strengthen your faith? Pfft, no. I ain't strengthening my faith. V- I'm out of here. See y'all? What does it mean? You're going to see God's grace in the line to Jesus like you would never believe. Just when you think God couldn't use you, wait, oh wait, <laughs> there's more. <laughs> So she dresses up like a prostitute. She convinces Judah, the mac daddy of the kings of the 12 tribes of Israel to sleep with her. Those twins are the line that the kings would continue. What's the next one? Look down on. Uh, boom. Verse number five. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. Rahab. Different spelling. Rahab, and and Booz begat Obed of Ruth, and o- Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. Who else comes from this line? Rahab. The spelling is a little off, but it's Rahab, the inhabitant of Jericho, protected Israelite spies, and God protected her. She married Salmon. This here Salmon, what a name! I'm going to name my next kid Salmon. Tell my wife. And Salmon, they had Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, who would then have and marry Ruth. Anybody ever read that book? Ruth! So the first one, I'm really excited about that one, but we have to stop and say that Rahab, not dressed up like a prostitute, it gets better. Guess what? She was a prostitute. So when 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good, you know what I mean? When there were spies that would go into these other countries to look out, to check out, and then Israel would go in and conquer and take over, she hid spies in Jericho, covered up for them, and because she hid the Israelite spies, God showed favor on her. Not just favor... God said, you're going to be in my line that's going to bring about my son. We have Christmas because of a prostitute. Yep, I'm going to make this into a book, and this will be the Advent readings that we give our children next year. I'm convinced of it, okay? Not just one that dressed up like a prostitute. Rahab mentioned in Matthew's genealogy, genealogy was a prostitute. And she married the man Salmon who would bring about Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, a great man who would look upon Ruth, who lost her husband. Watch this. Oh my goodness. Ruth, this is the next one, number three in the genealogy, she was a Moabite woman. Any, anybody know where the Moabites came from? Anybody? Huh? Moab. True. <laughs> True. Good one. <laughs> But they came about from an incestuous relationship from Lot, Abraham's nephew. They got him drunk and convinced him, completely out of his mind, his own daughters, this is how wicked they were, to sleep with him. The children from that incestuous relationship with Lot went on to be the nation of Moab. That was her roots. But she, marrying into an Israelite family, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. She loved the Lord. She was a holy woman. A righteous woman. And therefore, because of her heart, not because of her nationality, because of her faith, not because of who she married, God showed His grace on Ruth and working in that, in that time of famine, an incredible story, uh, what's his name? Boaz. No. Uh, Boaz redeems her and brings her to wife. And their son is the line that would continue for the next king. The last one. And David the king, David, verse 6, the king begat, what's his name? Solomon. Number four Picture of grace in the line of this genealogy that brought about our Savior. Who was Solomon's mother? Huh? Bathsheba. Hmm. The line of the Davidic king was from a relationship that David, when he was sitting on his laurels, when he probably should have been in battle, noticed a beautiful woman bathing on her roof. Different story for a different time. I I mean, why would you bathe on a roof? I don't know. Maybe it was culture, not sure. I think I'm going to go bathe on my roof. Why not? I think the pitch of my roof would inhibit that. That'd be tough. Wait, guys, can you throw me the sponge? (laughs) Just kidding. It happened. Uh, She was bathing on the roof. David saw her and took her to wife. (laughs) She got pregnant. This is like Mark. You guys understand what I'm saying? And who's the daddy? Pulls the card out and you the daddy. You understand what I'm saying? This is some crazy stuff. But he tries to cover it up. What does he do? He takes her husband, pushes him to the front of battle where he knew he would be killed. So that he could then I'm telling a game of what? I'm telling you, so that he could take Bathsheba to his own. David paid for that sin. Royally, I mean, we'll just, it was, it was no good. But the point was, that relationship would last. And her son, Solomon, would carry the line all the way to four people. In this genealogy, how many think we should just skip over the genealogy? Is there truth there for us? That's some crazy twisted stuff, isn't it? What does that mean for us when we see these names? I already mentioned once today. Stay with me. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's Romans 3. Don't put your stock in what others say about you. Listen, church. Don't put your stock in what others say about you. Put stock in what God says about you. This is when it's about to get real, I'm telling you. The story that gets us there is just as important as the conclusion of the story. The story that leads to the manger is just as important as the conclusion of that story. Or else it wouldn't be in the text. How many of you in your family tree, there's just people that you want to erase up out of there. I'm looking down the line, I'm going up there. Yeah, give me that eraser right quick. Don't you think that God could have left that out? And he was of the house and lineage of David. That's all Matthew had to say. Remember who Matthew was. He understood the historical nature of who these people were. He was a Jew. Nope. (laughs) I could almost see him like, I'm going to need a pencil sharpener for this one. (laughs) Man. And -and so-and-so begat so-and-so. Hey, this is even funnier. Matthew, I come from Levi. We don't do that stuff in our line. You know what I'm saying? Twelve sons. Judah had some crazy stuff going on in his side of the family. I can almost see the feud. You know what I'm saying? He was from Levi, not from Judah. I'll write all day about my brother and sister. (laughs) Anyway, I thought it was funny. But (laughs) the point is, they could have left it out. But they didn't. Why? Because it's important for us to realize that Jesus came to save sinners. This is not to put saints on display here. This is here to encourage us in this Christmas story. And boy, is there more to the story. What a, what a family line. Jesus was born, yes. But who had to be born in order to make that happen? Go to this text as we wrap up today. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. Turn to Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. The man that started it all. This is where the culmination of all these messages on faith and where we are today in our first... Remember, this is just our first of three messages on the Advent season. By faith, what's his name? Abraham. Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. All right, everybody stand up, just kidding. Sit, please. <laughs> By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place. Watch this, church. Which he should after receive for an inheritance. What's the next word? Obeyed. Obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he here's the word I want you to see. Sojourned in the land of promise. As in the strange country dwelling in the tabernacle with Isaac and Jacob. And the heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Of one of those sons, Judah was the family tie to Jesus. So we're really reading right now how it all what? Began. Began. The whole entire Christmas story, Matthew is very clear, comes from Abraham and David. David comes from the line of Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Father Abraham, had many sons. Do you get it? Are you putting it together? We wouldn't have Christmas if Abraham hadn't sojourned by faith. Verse 11, Through faith also Sarah, the baby mama, Herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered a child when she was past age because she judged Him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and Him as as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude and as the sand uh, which is by the seashore is innumerable. These all died in faith. Having not received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country, from whence they came, they might have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country. That is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He hath prepared for them a city. I'm telling you something. He has prepared something for us. But in order for them to receive it, Abraham had to do it by what? Faith. In order for you to receive what God has for you today, you have to put on the lens, the faith funnel, and understand that it's coming. Your gift is, is awaiting you. Eternal life is there. You must believe it by faith. How do I know that? Look at this lineage. Look at this line. Abraham, the father, I can only imagine that he would look in judgment of his great, 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 great grandson. No, he wouldn't. Abraham himself lied twice about who his wife was, Sarah, in order to protect himself. Read the story. This line by which Jesus came is a line of Grace. Here's the first word, verse nine. He sojourned. He sojourned. What does that mean? Even if you don't own it, God does. Here, I I just—you can't miss this. I promise. This is wrapping it up here. Look at verse number nine in Hebrews chapter eleven. By faith he sojourned in a land of promise. That word "sojourn" is so powerful. The making of Jesus, the making of the messianic line, took the father of it all. To sojourn. That means he was a stranger. He went to a place that he did not own on a promise that God did. Ooh, that's powerful. How do you accomplish living by faith? Going to a place that's strange to you, but it's not strange to God. Church, I want to build your faith today. I want you to understand this, that For Jesus to get here, men and women long before him, his great-great-grandfathers and grandmother, had to go to places that were uncertain. Sojourn. Write that word down in your Bible. Write it down in your brain. Text it to yourself. Whatever you got to do, write the word down. Sojourn. Look it up. A stranger in a land. When was the last time you sojourned? He went out not knowing whether he went, John. What has God asked you to do? Where has He asked you to go that is unfamiliar territory to you? If you don't go, who won't be born? Can you answer that question? Jesus. There is no Christmas. There is no gifts. There is no salvation. God called a successful man from a land that he knew, to a land that he did not know. Church, I'm just here to tell you that nothing good will be built from comfort. Nothing. Nothing of substance will ever be built in your life from a place of relaxation. you got to sojourn. We love Christmas, yes! It's the most wonderful time of the year. Where's the mistletoe? Baby mama! We just love it. Everything about it. Woo! And Abraham's rolling over in his grave. Yeah, enjoy yourself. I'm in heaven. He's in a great place right now, but I can just imagine Father Abraham. Do you remember? We were 100 years old. We had no clue. We didn't think we were going to have a baby, but that baby. Are you understanding that the miracle was not the first miracle that brought Jesus here? You may be five miracles away from your life completely changing. You may be five degrees away. Six layers of Kevin Bacon. You know what I'm saying? Away from the one miracle that's going to game change it all. But you got to sojourn. you got to take a step. And by faith, Abraham said, I'm going to go. Christmas is about being home. No, it ain't. Mark it down. Pastor Matt said Christmas is about going to a strange place. Christmas is about going outside of your comfort zone. If we're not able to tell our children that you got to go where it's uncomfortable, let me show you. Let me live it for you. The just shall live by faith. Your mom and dad are going to step out over and over and over because I believe that there's a promise. I believe that God has something great for us. And I'm not going to use my past defeats My past mistakes to define my faith-filled future. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. That's enough to sit down and say, oh my goodness. No, it's not. It's enough to say I made some mistakes. I did some wrong. But you know what? God is going to take my mess and make it into something majestic. My goodness. The the last word here is in verse 9. Same word, same, same verse. Dwelling in the... Tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. Hey, church. Your tent becomes a temple on the right foundation. When Abraham was wandering, setting up the whole nation that would bring about Jesus, the Bible says that they wandered in tabernacles. That sounds really good because we've given that a name like Holy Tabernacle, First Baptist Uh, House of Prayer Worship, I don't know, whatever denomination you are. We use the word tabernacle to name our churches. Do you know what the the word tabernacle means right here? It means tent. Everybody wants the temple, but nobody wants the tent. God doesn't turn a temple into a tent. He turns a tent into a temple. Stop looking for the temple. It's you. He'll turn your mess into something beautiful. He'll give you a glorified body someday, but that's not today. How many know this generation just wants it all on a silver platter? Make me sick. (laughs) (laughs) When I was your age, no, just kidding. My My dad taught me how to work, and I'm still working. How did Jesus get here? Because his great, 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 great granddaddy sojourned and he lived in a tent. So you're trying to tell me that even along the way, there were people that were like doing bad things? hmm. And that's how Jesus got here? Uh huh. What's that mean? It means there's room for you and me. There's room for you and me in this line. I want to be a son and daughter. Sign me up. (laughs) I mean, if that doesn't give you the faith to accept it, I don't know what will. Some of you are sitting in a comfortable place with a comfortable name. It ain't going to happen from there. (laughs) Pastor Matt, yo just give me my pumpkin spice in November and my peppermint mocha in December and I am good. I am good. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, American. I want to see God do something great through each and every one of you. What is how do I accomplish that as a pastor? I just push you into strange places. Into places where you got to pitch a tent. I'm sorry, but there's no tabernacle. I'm sorry, there is a tabernacle. There's, there's no temple. It's a tent. How many of you are willing to just let go of some of the comforts that you have in order to receive the faith that he has for you? I think Christmas is a little bit weightier than what we imagine. There's a little bit more weight on the meaning If you knew what it took to get here, it's the same principle with our nation, how people take it for granted because they don't understand the price that was paid. It's the same way with this book called the Bible. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Will you trust today? Will you pray today? Will you be a stranger today? Jesus is... Coming. You mean he already came, Pastor Matt? The first Advent. You're right, he did come, but he's coming again. Are you ready for the second Advent? As we build on this season of Christmas, there's room for everyone. If there's room, for sinners like that then there's room for me because I'm a sinner just like them I'm so thankful that Matthew put that in the first part before the Christmas story to tell us how Jesus got here how many of you think it's pretty interesting how Jesus got here yeah it's pretty cool here's my hope today if the devil has you under his thumb and he says God can't use you God doesn't have anything for you. Your faith means nothing because of what you've done. God doesn't work in guilt. The devil does. He works through faith. And in order to exercise faith, you've got to sojourn. Come on. You've got to take a step. How many of you have been in a place of comfort for just too long? God's been pushing you for years, and you just haven't taken a step. Nobody's looking. If you're sitting here and you want me to pray for you to have the strength to take that step, raise your hand. Pastor Matt, help me to sojourn. Help me to step out. Yeah, buddy, come on. If you want to pray, come on forward. If you need to pray in your seat, pray there. But if you're ready, I got one already hit the altar Come on. Let's pray together. God, give me the strength to sojourn. It might mean that you got to have a season in some tents. Are you okay with that? There's another one. Are you okay with a season in a tent? You're looking at a pastor that's ready for it. I'm okay for a season of tents. Let's get the tent out, let's go camping. Let's get away from all of this excess. And let's teach our children what they really need, and that's faith. Oh, and don't tell me that (laughs) you're not good enough. We already read that story. God wants you. God wants me. He loves us so much. Will you claim your faith-filled future just like his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather did? The Christmas story is about faith. I'll shut up. while we're still praying and every head bowed every eye closed if you sit here today and you say Pastor Matt I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus I don't know if I died I'd even go to heaven you're talking about stepping out on faith I've never trusted Jesus for that first step of faith I don't know if I if I died I'd go to heaven here's my hand I don't know would you pray for me Pastor Matt by your testimony we've all put our faith and trust in Jesus It's time to take some steps of faith. It's fine. Father God, we trust you, we love you, we praise your name. What a great story! What a phenomenal lineage. It's unbelievable. My faith was strengthened when I kind of dove in looked into the the past. All that tells me is that the best days are ahead. They're not behind me. They died with a promise and you're continuing to fulfill that promise right now. In your son's precious and holy name, amen. Church, look at me. God is good all the time. We have got to reframe and change our thinking. That's the problem. I'm serious. Like, we are so stuck in a rut of whether it's mistakes or where you think that you need something that God doesn't want you to have it. I just want to give a testimony. I prayed for two things specifically this week two big things. Massive, thing. I mean like, I was like, you know what, I watched a message, I told a couple of fellas last week, I watched a message on prayerlessness, and I, and I felt conviction on that, and I thought if my future is designed for him to fulfill by my faith, then the only way I do that is to pray believing, I'm going to sojourn, so anyway, I prayed specifically for those two things, and guess what? Boom. Massive. God delivered way above. My wife and I, last night, we held hands and we prayed together, just bawling. Like, it was so evident that God heard and granted. Like, just boom. We were just like, whoa. How many times do we not do that? Do we not step out and sojourn? Or, God forbid, one of you take this message and you step out in prayerlessness. Don't do that. Don't be inspired by this message and jump out in faith on Monday and the devil kicks your tail all the way back home because you stepped out in your own power and not the power of prayer. I don't ever want to be the pastor that sets you up for failure. I'm telling you, God has got this. And if you will seek him in prayer this week, I'm just telling you, just pray. Say, whatever it is, give me the strength to do it. If there's a mountain, pray that he moves it. And I promise you, he will. I love you, church. You're dismissed.